Welcome. Welcome to Grassroots Rising, Leveling Up in the Climate Fight. My name is Mark Reynolds. I'm CCL's ED, and I'll be hosting this weekend's seminar. Uh, I particularly want to welcome those two people who registered from Mississippi last week because that allowed us to have people registered from all 50 states in the District of Columbia. It's a far cry from the organization I joined in 2009, where there were six chapters and 21 active volunteers. I also will welcome the people who are joining from other countries, which include Canada, Sweden, Poland, Nepal, Kazakhstan, Uganda, Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, Australia, Great Britain, Spain, Trinidad, Bulgaria, and Italy. If you're joining from some country outside of those that I just mentioned, if you could just put that in the chat, we do love to know who's here. So if you are from a country other than the ones I just mentioned, please make sure and put that in the chat. Uh, so what's going to happen over the next couple of days? In just a moment, I'll be introducing Dan Jones, who will be doing our opening keynote session, and there should be plenty of time for questions and answers. And then we'll be hearing from Dana Nucitelli. So there has been plenty of bad news, uh, excuse me, and just really the obvious impacts of what's happening from climate change around the world, but there's been some good news also. And so we'll hear from Dana Nucitelli about some of the good things that have happened over the last year. Then you'll hear from our government affairs team, um, uh, ben Pendergrass and Jen Tyler, uh, they'll go over kind of the lay of the land and some of the things that have been happening and emphasize, I'm sure, again, the importance of permitting reform. You know, the what got done in the Inflation Reduction Act on the climate uh, issues were really important and the most money ever allocated from any bill ever. But if we don't get permitting reform done, then we're not going to be able to implement all those. So it's really important that we continue to push on that. <clears throat> Then we'll hear from some CCL group leaders. All of the innovation that happens in this organization always happens from CCL group leaders. And so we always like to hear where are they pushing the envelope? What are they doing to kind of innovate and develop where the organization is going? Uh, then we'll have some breakout sessions, which I'll go over in just a moment. We have a message from Senator Hickenlooper about the Big Wires app. And then Dr. Danny Richter, uh, probably one of the country's leading experts on carbon pricing. Uh, it'll be so great to hear from Danny about uh, particularly the importance of carbon pricing, even in the face of what happened with the Inflation Reduction Act. In terms of the breakout sessions uh, today, uh, you can, uh, there's a session on making your lobby meetings more memorable. Uh, Lights, Camera, Action is really about hosting film screenings in your area. Uh, there's a session on coalition building, uh, resiliency, and then social media. Now, hopefully you can join us also for tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's gonna to be a session on improving lives through game-changing climate cooperation, motivational interviewing. You know, we have for the last 15 years trying to improve our ability to communicate on climate change. And the vast majority of it has been about trying to be better listeners. And that's really what that session is about. And then putting the Inflation Reduction Act into action is not just information about the bill itself, but it's also about, you know, what about, what are the, tax benefits for you if you put in a heat pump or buy an electric car. And then the climate advocate training, some of you will be lobbying for the first time ever with us uh, this week. And if you are, please make sure you attend that session tomorrow. Or if you're new to CCL, please make sure you attend that session. That is absolutely essential, crucial to who we are and what we do as an organization. Okay, one of the things that I like to do is uh, tell our speaker a little bit about the people who they're going to be speaking to today. So first of all, let me just show you what some of those chapters look like around the country. Because of the time zone difference, we weren't get, able to get some of the international chapters, but let me show you a few of the chapters who are joining us around the US. 
So there you can see CCL Portland. Great. Welcome, Portland. There's Traverse City. <laughs> Debbie in Taiwan. Fantastic. There's Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. Great. Okay, fantastic. Welcome. Thank you all for, for joining us, and thanks for um, uh, making yourself available. All right, I'd like to tell our speaker three more things about the people you're going to be speaking with. Uh, first of all, regarding climate solutions, I suspect this might be the most knowledgeable group of people that you've ever spoken to. So four years ago, we had our annual summer conference in DC. There were 1,600 people there. The outside speaker asked the question, has anybody here ever heard of a carbon border adjustment mechanism? Every hand in the room went up. <laughs> so I can't imagine any other room where someone would ask about something as nuanced as that and every hand went up. Uh, so these are, we are full on climate solution nerds. So, um, uh, you're talking to people who, regarding climate solutions, we are full on into uh, what will solve the problem. Second is, these are probably the most active people you're ever going to speak with. So regarding um, just the first three months, first three quarters of this year, they've had 873 meetings with members of Congress. So this is volunteer lobbyists who are meeting with a member of Congress, and this is just year to date. With our lobby week this week, that total will go over 1,000 for sure this year. They've uh, submitted 92,564 personal letters to Congress. And it's hard for us to measure social media, but regarding traditional media, 1,499 published letters to the editor and op-eds. Here's the third thing that I want to tell you about the people. If you're interested in bipartisan climate legislation, this is the group of people that you want to talk to. During the last three years, they have helped pass six bipartisan climate bills. That includes the Use It Act, the BEST Act, the Growing Climate Solutions Act, the SCALE Act, the Hope for Homes Act, and the Climate Ready Fisheries Act. Uh, so if you're interested in bipartisan work, this is the group that you're going to be uh, uh, very interested in speaking with. So um, I think most of you are familiar with Dan Jones from his work at CNN. Um, I'm sure you followed him there. Uh, many of you have probably read one or more of his books, including the most recent, Beyond the Messy Truth, How We Came Apart, How We Come Together, that he wrote in 2017. Probably familiar with many of the enterprises he started, including the Reform Alliance, Color of Change, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, and Dream.org which works to close prison doors and open doors of opportunity in the green and tech communities. In 2009, he was the Green Jobs Advisory in the Obama White House and has actually been successful in pushing through initiatives with the last four administrations, including Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump. Most recently with the First Step Act, which the New York Times calls the most substantial breakthrough in criminal justice in a generation. So Van Jones, one thing we share deeply with you is a commitment to bipartisanship, to nonpartisanship, and thank you so much for making yourself available today. Well, it's, it's an honor, and um, I uh, can, can you hear me, brother? Yes. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, well, I just want to uh, uh, say how much I appreciate all the people who are on this call. Um, and in, in, um, this is one of the few gatherings where almost every single person, I think there's like 
788 people on this call and every single one, one of the people on this call could be giving a presentation um, and could be talking about what they're doing. So it's very humbling uh, to be uh, you know, one of the, the keynote people here. But because we're all kind of on the same team, you does give a chance to talk about things a little bit differently. Um, first of all, um, you know, we are entering, uh, you know, a, a big picture, a very different scenario uh, than maybe we were facing with the Obama administration when I was a part of the Obama administration in the early days, 2009. In those days, look, we had a $387 billion stimulus, 80 billion were for uh, clean and green solutions. We thought that was an unbelievable, $80 billion, like, holy crap. And the idea was, and we should never forget this, that $80 billion, uh, and I was the, the lead on that, I ran the interagency process for that as the special advisor on green jobs for Obama, that $80 billion, which at the time was the biggest amount ever put on the table by, by the government, was supposed to be a down payment. And the next step was supposed to be the cap and trade bill that would then pull in trillions of dollars from the private sector into clean and green solutions. Don't ever forget the government outlay was just a down payment. It was just to prime the pump. What was supposed to happen was that, that we would then have a price on carbon, that that was going to then generate uh, trillions of dollars into this field, and it didn't happen. And the failure of America's government to follow up on that $80 billion of public money with trillions of private money by sending the right signal price signals may wind up being uh, the most critical failure in the history of our species because now we are facing uh, a real set of challenges. Uh, I don't want to depress anybody. I'll say some positive stuff at the end, but I just want to level set here. You know, I have an 18-month-old uh, baby girl, 19 months old now, um, she's growing up on a different planet than I was born on. There was, there was no time in the last century when I was born, when I was growing up, uh, where uh, the North Pole was hotter than the Sahara Desert. Uh, and at the same time, Texas froze. <laughs> that was called 2021. <laughs> 2021, Texas froze. Uh, it was 100 degrees at the North Pole and 85 degrees in Sahara Desert. Um, that's a different planet. That's a different planet. And things continue to move in a, in a more negative and, I think, frightening direction from an ecological point of view, which means the work that we're doing now, having lost, oh, what, 15 years <laughs> of, of, of what, what should have been 15 years of aggressive uh, 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 price signaling and innovation and invention and investment, um, is the most important work in the world. It's the most important work. What we're doing, what we're focused on is the most important. And we should not give up on the fight for a real price signal. Um, part, part of the um, uh, uh, challenge is that I think because there has been such a big uh, uh, chunk of government outlay that we think, well, all the, all the work is done, now we just have to implement. It is true we have to implement, and people will talk about that. But this is not enough. <laughs> We'll, we'll burn through this $300 billion and we'll still have a bunch of problems. Just level set that, uh, yes, it's a big victory. Yes, $300 billion is a lot more than $80 billion. Uh, yes, uh, we have a, we, we've done something incredible. Yes, we should be praising Biden for his leadership. And we still lack the most important tool that we need, which is to have a true price signal. 
um, and uh, and then, then let the magic of the market take us across the finish line. Uh, that said, um, you know, for me, uh, my most recent round of work has been in the criminal justice space, um, and I've learned a bunch uh, working across party lines uh, and, and working across party lines as parties have gotten further and further apart and more and more, um, let's just say, unhappy with each other, <laughs> put it that way. Um, and so um, I'd like to just share some of the things that I've learned. Now, I'm a progressive. Uh, other, others of you may not be progressive, so this may not be useful to you, but I'm a, I'm a progressive, good, strong Democrat. Um, and reaching across the aisle, uh, as my, my team and I have done, um, on criminal justice and also climate, there's some stuff that we've learned, uh, and there's stuff that I'd like to share. Um, first of all, I do think that sometimes we get hung up on language. I found it's much better to agree on a principle and let other people say it however they want to, um, than to try to fight people to have my language. So if somebody doesn't want to use the term climate, that's fine. Like, don't fight them. And like, if, if climate is a dirty word in their coalition, if it's a dirty word in their district, if it's a dirty word in their house, there's a thousand ways to talk about this and never use the term climate. Um, similar, like, for instance, criminal justice. Um, for us on the left, the idea of justice was the whole point. <laughs> we were like, this, we, we, we think the system is unjust. We want um, the racial injustice, the social injustice of having the biggest prison system in the history of the world, $90 billion industry, the incarceration industry, uh, 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 2.2 million Americans in jail, more Americans in jail than any other country, Russia, China, but it don't even come close. That's unjust. And we wanted our um, uh, conservative colleagues to sign off on that this is a racial injustice. Well. That wasn't their comfort zone. For them, it was a question of liberty, of limited government, uh, of, uh, of individual dignity. Uh, they, for them, it was a question of having a big failed government bureaucracy that was gobbling up money, the prisons, and putting out a bad result. So it was a government accountability question. It was, it was a fiscal responsibility question. For some, it was a religious question around redemption and second chances and grace, they had their own set of reasons that were more about individual liberty, less about social justice. Well, rather than arguing about the terms, we said, you know what we're going to do? Let's have a liberty and justice for all coalition, okay, so that we can just work together and you say it your way, I'll say it my way. And we were able to get, I think, 12 bipartisan bills done in red and purple states including dignity for incarcerated women, uh, where we banned the uh, uh, practice of shackling women uh, who were having giving birth in Southern jails with the family values right and the social justice left coming together, each speaking in their own terms, each willing to talk about it in, in ways that made sense to them. And we didn't try to police each other's language. We didn't try to insist that people all speak the same way. And we even got, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Do ultimately Donald Trump uh, signed a criminal justice bill um, with Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries and and, uh, and and others on the left supporting and Newt Gingrich and, and Jared Kushner on the right supporting because everybody was able to have their own language. So we, I think that's really important. How does that apply in this climate context? 
Um, you know, uh, we we have done um, the various organizations I'm a part of have done a lot of quiet work, talking to um, conservative conservationists, uh, you know, other people who come at this in a different way. They cannot use the term climate with their own constituents. You, you know that I know that. We just recover. You just let's just just remember. <laughs> That that term has become so politicized, has become so associated with progressives that they literally can't touch the term. But um, the the love of God's creation, uh, the love of, of of the great outdoors, protection of America's beauty, uh, investing in America's future, those terms work very well for them. And you have to give them that space and give them that opportunity to speak to their own people in their own way. And allowing farmers, allowing uh, you know fisher folk, allowing uh, hunters and, and and other people who participate in the great outdoors uh, as a matter of sport and lifestyle, giving them the opportunity to speak about the changes that they are seeing in the climate, which is obvious to anybody who's on the land in any way for any reason, uh, giving them the opportunity to speak up is important. The other thing we found is that you have a lot of veterans. A lot of veterans uh, who, you know, there's not a single Pentagon scenario, uh, predictive scenario, that does not assume climate change, doesn't assume climate disruption, doesn't assume climate chaos, and then go proceed from there. So what's weird is that you have uh, the Republican Party, which is usually very pro-military, but the Pentagon itself <laughs> assumes climate disruption in all of its modeling. Um, and a lot of veterans, uh, you know, can speak to that. Um, and that's another voice, I think, that needs to have a place at the table. We need more generals uh, speaking up. We need more veterans speaking up uh, about the need for us to, um, you know, re-engineer America's energy sector so that we can, you know, fight fewer wars overseas. The last thing I'm going to say is this, uh, and then we'll take some questions. Um, you know, because of all of the, you know, I'm a more of a politics guy than a policy guy. We got we have a lot of policy geniuses here. I, I don't consider myself a policy uh, genius at all, but I know a little bit about politics. And what I will say is this, because of what's happening uh, in communities that we care about in the global South, because of the droughts, because of the uh, ecological uh, upset and, and unsettling, you're gonna have a much bigger immigration push from the South, from the global South. You're gonna have a lot more Africans trying to get into Europe. You're gonna have a lot more people from uh, South America trying to get into North America. And that will create um, opportunities for politics that I don't like. Um, you might call it right-wing populist politics, whatever you wanna call it. The people, whenever you have an influx of newcomers, there are always people who wanna scapegoat those newcomers. That could create a bad cycle where the immigration push mm -hmm. empowers right-wing governments, right-wing movements, um, the negative right-wing, everything on the right is not bad, but negative right-wing populist sort, sorts of movements, which then take over governments, which are then not that willing to, to lead on climate, which then lets the planet get hotter, which then pushes. We could be in a political feedback loop where the consequences of runaway climate change actually empower the, the least likely people <laughs> to do anything about it. That is a big danger which is why reaching out and trying to get uh, Republican and conservative uh, voters and leaders to embrace this agenda 
since they may wind up with more power um, uh, over time, is so critical. Uh, I like doing bipartisan work, not because I particularly like talking to people I disagree with, though I'd get some joy out of that, but because it's just a smart way to do it. Um, uh, Republicans don't win every election. Democrats don't win every election. But we've got to have a stable governing majority for the next you know, two or three decades to solve this problem. And so the idea that we can just hide in our own corner, talk to ourselves, use language that we like, make everybody else change their language to work with us and hope that only people who agree with us win office is not the right strategy. The right strategy is to be as big tent as possible, as inclusive as possible, and try to help both political parties develop real champions on this issue who can speak in terms that make sense to them and their constituencies so that we can ultimately prevail. Nice. Thank you so much. This reminds me a lot of the first time Catherine Hayhoe was on our call. And I had always thought the only valid way to climate change was through science. And she's like, no, no, there's millions of people that want to help and they want to help based on their faith. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> time to open up a little bit, right? Yes, sir. All right, Flannery's been monitoring the questions in the chat. So Flannery, what, do we, what kind of questions do we have for Mr. Jones? All right. So uh, there's a lot of interest in this question of language. Um, and I think we'd like to hear a little bit more about the, the idea of the Liberty and Justice Coalition, how you each could say um, what was what was appropriate for each side. Um, but we have a question from Tamara wondering, um, how were you able to get each side to listen? Uh, did you use your language or did you use their language when you were trying to decide to work together? Well, the crazy thing about that, that's, that's actually a very good question. And one, a question I've not been asked before, which I appreciate. Um, uh, people ask me why, they don't ask me how. The how is about the listening and not the talking. That's the key is, you know, in order for us to do what we have to do now, some of us have to abandon our early training which is how do you lead? Well, you give good speeches, you give good presentations, you make a great TED talk, you, you know, learn how to you know, persuade people. The problem is now, everybody's in their own algorithmic rabbit hole. These devices are not designed to give you information. They're designed to give you endorphins. They're just designed to keep you stimulated and on the app. They don't care if it's teaching you to praise Hamas. As long as you're on the app, it's fine with them. It's not about information, it's about endorphins. What that means is the person you're sitting next to on the plane or on the bus is getting a completely different reality reflected to them than you are. And you don't know what their phone is telling them. You think it, when you Google something, everybody gets the same Google search. Well, if you're a conservative, when you Google gun, the first thing it's going to say is, you know, gun rights. And, you know, uh, you know, when you Google, if you're liberal, it's going to say, you know, gun control. Like, literally, your whole world is now being shaped by this device. And by the way, you hold this device closer to yourself than you hold anything or anyone except for your baby and your lover. That's how intimate this relationship is. And you don't hold your baby and your lover all the time. You hold this thing all the time. So it's the most intimate relationship that you have. These apps are not designed to give you information. They're designed to give you endorphins, which means you have no idea what your audience is thinking. You have no idea what the person sitting across from you just saw on their phone coming in the Uber to your meeting. So we have to become as powerful listeners as Dr. King was a speaker. You have to assume that the person who seems completely 
baffling to you, bewildering to you. How can they think this? How can they act this way? How, why don't they? Why they? Because they're not in the same movie as you. They may as well be on a different planet from you because they're in a completely different information environment. So number one, you have to know you have to listen a lot, ask a lot of questions. Don't come in to advocate, come in to investigate. That's really key. Number two, friendships matter. And to have a friend, you need to be a friend. Simple stuff. We're failing kindergarten. We were able to get this thing passed because I had a TV show with a guy named Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich and I had a TV show together called Crossfire. I was a liberal. He was a conservative. We fought all the time on air. But off air, we got to know each other. And we discovered little areas of overlapping interests around addiction, around youth in trouble, around criminal justice. And we just started working on those things together. But it was the friendship, it was the fact that we knew each other. Um, thank goodness for CNN, I would have never met uh, Newt Gingrich. But because I did, my whole life changed. I met a bunch of his friends who were conservative. He met a bunch of my friends who were liberal. We got a bunch of stuff done. So number one, you nobody is crazy. Everybody is rational based on the information that they have and the interests that they have. So when somebody is doing something you don't like, you can't just call them crazy and say they're in a cult and be mean to them. You have to figure out, well, what are your interests? What are you trying to accomplish? And what information do you have and where do you get it from? Which means listening, investing in listening. And then you've got to do the translating in your own mind to try to figure out where is the common ground. And then it's just important to make friends. And the thing I'll say about friends, I really mean friends. Jared Kushner became my friend. Newt Gingrich is my friend. If something happens to Jared, if something happens to me, if Newt you know, puts out a new book, I reach out, hey, congratulations. We don't have to agree on 99 issues, but the fact that we have warm regard for each other means that in that 1% moment where something could get done if we came together, that is available. So it's about listening. It's about understanding the other person's information environment. It's about investing in relationships over time, not expecting them to sign your petition right now or they're in a cult. Sign my petition right now or you're an idiot. No, no, it takes time. But over time, you have more capacity for it. Fantastic. Um, our next most upvoted question uh, is asking about money and politics. So it's I, I really appreciate the point that everyone is is rational in the context of their own information, their own incentives. Um, and so uh, Steve here is asking uh, or pointing out that before 2010, there were Republicans willing to work on big climate solutions and then Citizens United passed. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more money uh, influencing our politics. Um, and so he's specifically asking, uh, do we need to overturn Citizens United in order to get meaningful action on uh, from Congress on climate change? But I'd just be interested broadly in your uh, your perspective on the, the influence of money on uh, basically the whole system's willingness to engage with, with major climate action. Yeah, you know, Politicians need votes and they need money. And so the problem that we have now is that the money, you know, is is really uh, one-sided in terms of uh, where, what you might call legacy in, in uh, energy or pollution-based technologies or dirty energy or fossil fuels, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, they're, they're willing to weaponize their dollars to protect their interests. That's a part of the problem. But the bigger problem is actually um, 
do you need votes? And it's become now a cultural issue to be against climate solutions. And so much of what happens now in our politics is more tribal than even, you know, it, it's not just a, a failure of us to keep big money out. It's, a, it's this other problem, which is a failure of us to keep a big community together. And so people are very tribal. Um, you, uh, I don't know if you, if you guys have been watching any Republican debates, there's no conversation happening in the, in the Republican debates about climate. Uh, except to sort of poo-poo it. Um, you're right, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, and so um, I do think that any time spent trying to reform our political system so that it's more responsive to real people um, is, is time well spent. Um, that said, I don't think it's going to happen quickly, and we're going to have to figure this out in other ways. The good opportunity that everybody has is so much of the money uh, from Biden's, uh, uh, you know, uh, environmental uh, 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 from the from the IRA is going to red states. You think about red states. Where is the wind energy in America? Where is the solar energy in America? Where are some of the manufacturing sites starting to pop up for tax reasons and cultural reasons and uh, geographic reasons? Red states are going to disproportionately benefit from Biden's. Uh, success. So there's an opportunity to build on not a big conversation about climate and parts per billion and polar bears in the future, but to build on the economic opportunity that's available to people in red states because of this um, uh, breakthrough. And so whereas the political donations may continue to be one-sided, lopsided, and negative, the political consequences of Biden's breakthrough uh, properly marshaled in red state should help us build a better constituency. Great point. Um, well, and one thing that we're doing here in Citizens Climate Lobby is we have regular people coming in to talk to lawmakers. So we're also trying to provide a sort of a counterbalance. There's the, you know, there's the money and there's all those influences, but then there's also real people with our real concerns. Um, and so we have a question here from Justin asking, uh, what's the best way for us to talk to members of Congress in a, in a nonpartisan way uh, based on your experience? How can we have those conversations that help create more bipartisanship in the climate space? I'm going to, and you know, we're all friends here, so we can talk frankly. Um, there's a naive quality to a lot of us in this space. We were moved by the science. We were moved by the rational arguments around the future, about the future. We were moved, but we're weird. <laughs> like, most people don't sit around thinking about this stuff. And I think we are often, you, you, you make the mistake of thinking, well, this is what moved me, this is, what, this is what will move someone else. And that's never a great assumption to make. What is gonna move a politician is not only rational argument, though that's important. It's not only the science, that's important. Politics is about rap, rap. R-A-P, reward and punishment. That's politics. So if you don't have the capacity to reward a politician, 
with votes, with money, with positive media coverage, or to punish a politician by taking away votes, by taking away money, by taking away positive media coverage, then what you're really doing is just giving their chief of staff or their political director one more meeting to go to today. <laughs> because at the end of the day, they're thinking, how is this going to help or hurt my boss? Because usually you don't talk to the congressperson, you talk to their, their staff. And so that staff member sitting there thinking, can this group help my boss or hurt my boss? Or is this just some do-gooder group of people with some good ideas? Well, they'll be nice to you. They're not going to throw you out the office. They're not going to, you know, they'll listen. But the next person who comes in and says, listen, we have X number of votes in your district, that group is going to be taken more seriously. The group that comes in and says, listen, we got a fund, grassroots fundraising capacity. We're able to donate money to candidates who agree with us and also who don't. We can endorse. Those things matter. So many of us are in 501c3 organizations that, frankly, are not supposed to participate in electioneering at all. <laughs> and so people who have PACs, people who have, you know, um, other uh, even C4s can at least offer blessings and curses that are meaningful. And, and I hate to burst anybody's bubble here, but having spent 30 years in politics, I can tell you, if you, you know, if you had an extra hour to spend on getting smarter on policy or getting stronger on politics, I say spend an hour getting stronger on politics because we already know the policies. We already know the science, what we don't have. We can't honestly tell somebody's chief of staff, mm, you know, you, you, you won your primary by, you know, four points last time. We have enough influence to, you know, shave off a point or two uh, one way or the other. And we think it's important that our members be listened to. Like, that's the sort of stuff that people sit up and listen to. When I was in the Obama White House, we had a lot of people who came and wanted to talk to me because I was the special advisor for green jobs to the president. And I'll put it to you this way. If you had 10 people come to your office and nine of them brought you flowers and one of them had a baseball bat, a chainsaw, <laughs> Uh, and uh, a folding chair, who do you think you're going to pay more attention to? <laughs> you probably say, this person seems like they might actually be able to cause me some problems. <laughs> Let me figure out what this person wants. And that's a lot of politics. So um, I hope that's not too discouraging. No, it's right. We have to have to think about all the, uh, all the factors, for sure. Um, so we are coming up almost to the end of our time. So I will just ask you one, one last question and then turn it over to you for any, uh, any sort of final thoughts you wanna give this group. Um, but I'd love to just hear uh, your feelings about the, the state of climate action in the, the legislature, the executive branch. Um, where are we now compared to when you were in the Obama administration? Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, any final thoughts? Well, we're in a different world, both positively and negatively. Negatively, we're in a different world because the ecological collapse seems to be accelerating and that you can't get away from that. But, I mean, the entire Obama stimulus in 2009 was $300 billion. Only $80 billion of that went for climate solutions. To have a $300 billion set of climate solutions is just insane compared to where we were in 2009, 2010. Um, this movement is much bigger. Uh, there are um, uh, actual, we actually have a, a clean energy industry to protect, support, and develop. That wasn't true 15 years ago. 
we were still talking about how you put up solar panels on on residential homes. <laughs> like we're way past that. So from a business point of view, from a political point of view, this breakthrough point of view, uh, we're in a completely different world. And you know, I would just encourage everybody to realize um, and to remember, um, you know, it's because of you. Uh, it's because of you. It's because of you and people like you uh, going out of your way. You know, some sometimes paid, sometimes not paid, sometimes not paid very much, fighting to try to get this done. And um, you know, without the efforts of you personally, you, you know, you know how much sacrifice you've made, you know what you've done, you know how hard this has been. Without your sacrifice, we wouldn't be here. Um, and uh as impossible as it would have seemed, you know, just a few years ago that we'd have the kind of breakthrough we just got uh, with Biden. Uh, more breakthroughs are possible. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Van. I know if we were in person, you would be getting a standing ovation from all our volunteers here today. So um, thank you again so much for your wisdom and your insights here. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And thank you for all your extraordinary work. Really appreciate it and the making yourself available today. Thank you. Happy to do it. Proud to do it. Um, to be continued. All right. Thanks, Van. Uh, oh, and thanks for all the, the lovey things. Oh, <laughs> that, that, that's good for my self-esteem. We're a very loving thing. organization, Van. <laughs> thank you. All righty. Peace. Thank all right. You. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.